Open your Bibles with this morning, if you would. John chapter 11. I say this during the Easter season. You join hundreds of millions of people today doing this very thing. There aren't many events in human history that unite everybody. There's just one or two, isn't there? Not everybody celebrates July 4th. Easter's a big deal in most cultures. Christmas, of course. Just a couple of events that cross every border. Gender, nationality, race, it doesn't matter. This is one of those events. And isn't it interesting that the two events that unite everybody are both God things. You have a God that works. We have a a God who does things. We worship the God who is in charge. So today we celebrate Easter, and this is the big event, folks. You may not know this. Christians did not celebrate Christmas for centuries because Easter was the big deal. We've changed things, of course, in our culture. We've made Christmas a big event because we can sell stuff and give gifts, and that's fun. But Easter is the big thing. Jesus conquered death. We're going to continue in our series today, I Am the Resurrection and the Life. Jesus explains what this is all about. It's not just an event. It's a person. So today, we begin in prayer, and then we'll look at this passage in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Join me, please, as we pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you today. It's all about you, what you do in human history, what you've done in the past, what you continue to do. You bring life from death. You bring light out of darkness, hope out of despair, possibilities after loss. You are a God, Father, who changes everything. Thank you. We worship you today. We ask that you do that today. Continue this work of life and resurrection. Continue to give us hope. Continue to guide us to a better life. We pray this morning for those who have power over us that you would guide them that the power that brought Jesus back from the dead would be able to influence those that have power over our lives. Give them wisdom and discernment. Give them courage to make hard calls. We pray for our soldiers and first responders, their families. Protect them. Use them to bring peace and justice. Comfort their families. And so many others, Father, around the world who struggle. Be with them today. Help them to realize that The God who raised Jesus from the dead is still at work. Help us as your people to show that God is alive, not just in our lives, but in the way we work to serve others. Help us to be the hands of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for all good things. We have a wonderful life here in this great nation. Thank you. We pray, Father, for guidance and wisdom so we don't throw it away. We ask for mercy and forgiveness because in so many ways we reject you. Sometimes intentionally, other times out of apathy and ignorance. Forgive us, Father. And Lord, speak to us today from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The resurrection is all about God's power, isn't it? It's not just a story. It is that. But it's all about the power that God exercises over death 
and hopelessness. Maybe our video can remind us of what it's all about. Debbie? In the mid-1960s, thousands of Asians arrived at British airports seeking refuge from racist persecution in East Africa. Among them was a young man, Ram Gudumal. He and his family stayed with friends and relatives in West London, where they used what money they had to buy a newsagent shop. The business prospered until they had five shops. Ram studied hard and earned a place at Imperial College in London, where he gained a first degree in physics. His life had changed and was about to change even more. It all started with a visit to his local pub. Here I was with very little in common with those around me, and then all of a sudden, a music group uh, turns up at this pub. And I thought, well, that, that'll give me something to do. And so I turned around and I watched this group. And they started singing, and I thought, oh, that's a nice... And then the words suddenly hit me. I'd heard it all the time, but this time, the words hit me. Put your hands in the hands of the man from Galilee. And I said, who is this man from Galilee? I almost want to reach out and put my hand in somebody's hand, but they're saying in the man of, who is this man? And then they talked about him. It was the very first time Ran had heard about Jesus Christ, and he faced a dilemma. As a Hindu, one of the struggles I had was this whole thing of karma. The principle of karma, to put it in a nutshell, is what you sow, you reap. You do good, you reap good. You do bad, you reap bad. And the struggle I had as a Hindu, and that every Hindu has, is the payment of the karmic debt. There is a debt of karma, and we have to pay it. And only I can pay it, according to Hinduism. Therefore, I must do the good that will counteract the bad, that will eventually give me a better birth in my new life. And it'll go on and on and on in a cycle of births and rebirths until I achieve nirvana. And when I was sitting in that pub and reflecting on life, the struggle really was this. I am spiritually bankrupt. My karmic debt is so big that I got a choice. I either resign myself to that and say, that's it. I've got to give up on this life. I'll go into the next life and see what happens. Or I look at this option of Christ and say, now look, Christ says he paid for all my sins. Now I read that as Christ says he paid for all my karma because all the bad deeds I've done, he's paid for. If this is true, then this is very exciting news indeed because this is something worth looking at because no other guru has ever claimed that he can pay for my karmas. No guru has made that claim. And that started making sense to me. I thought, well, maybe there's something here. And I did get to the point where I got on my knees, and I still remember doing this very, very visibly. I opened the door, uh, the window in my room. There are these huge windows in Linstead Hall. I opened it, and I said, Lord Jesus, I confess that I've got to a point in my life where I just can't continue on my own. I need help, and I'm going to ask you to come in. I'm asking you, Lord, to come into my heart, to come into my life, to take charge and take control, and I will submit to you. I did that. That night I slept, slept like a log. I just felt like burden lifted off me. I just felt at peace. I can't explain it. Um, was it emotional? Was it hype? I don't think so. I think it really was real. Because I look back at that and that was a turning point. It was the most major event and step that I've ever taken in my life. Asking Jesus to enter in and take charge. Because I just felt like a lifting. I let go. I was free. 
and suddenly a whole lot of things got free. Because as I read the Bible, I realized, for example, about idol worship and all the fear I had of daily bowing down, touching, worshiping. I was free of all that because I now worship the true and living God. It, it was a different experience to have a living God, someone who heard me. You know, prayer took on a new meaning. And, and it was very exciting, just the early days, just going through and discovering Jesus for myself. Today, Ram Gudamal continues to be a highly successful businessman, deeply involved in supporting many public and charitable organizations. He was awarded the CBE in 1998. I don't know that if you can understand everything he said, but he said it was amazing to him when he heard that Jesus said he could take away sin and forgive sin. He said, no Hindu has ever said that. Religious leaders promise to get you into heaven. Religious leaders promise to give you wealth. Religious leaders promise to give you health. Have you ever noticed that? No one ever says, follow me and I will forgive your sin. Because no one messes with that. They don't know what that means. Sometimes people don't have this idea of sin. And sometimes they just know that's too big an order. But not Jesus. Follow me and I will cleanse you of sin. And that's what changes man's life. And indeed... Isn't that why we're here? Because every one of us who follows Jesus as Savior, we've come to the place where we realize we're sinners. Not bad people, sinners. Separated from God in our sin. And at the point of salvation, we acknowledge that Jesus, we're sinners. Save me. And that's when it all happens. And that's what the resurrection is all about. Today we're going to read a section of scripture in John chapter 11. And it deals with Jesus describing who he was. Follow along with me if you would. John 11. I'll read verses 17 through 27. John chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found out that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard him that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary sat still in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Now drop down, if you would, to verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. 
not the Easter story, but isn't this the story of Easter? God conquering death. See, the Easter story isn't just the event of Jesus' resurrection, yes. But the Easter story happens every time God conquers sin and death. Every time someone asks God for forgiveness and there is mercy and forgiveness, Easter is put to work. Every time a follower of Jesus dies, Easter begins to happen. Now, I know that eventually there's going to be a physical resurrection. I don't know when, don't know details, that's going to happen. But right now, the moment we step into death, we walk with God. So we begin Easter in this life and as soon as we die. So on screen is an idea here. Jesus is God's expression of his power over the circumstances of this life. Do you remember that phrase from a TV show from 20 years ago, life's hard, get a helmet? It was just a kid's show and everybody remembers how dumb it was. But that life's hard, get a helmet, that became a meme, didn't it? I mean, everybody said that. In fact, if someone said that to me yesterday, life's hard, get a helmet. It was a joke, of course, but it's an acknowledgement. This is not easy, this life. You get tired, you get sick, jobs go away, things happen. Sometimes people are just nasty. And so when we say life's hard, get a helmet, we acknowledge the difficulties of this life and we acknowledge that we need help, get a helmet. Jesus, and I don't mean to diminish this, is our helmet. Jesus is the one who enables us to deal with this life. There is nothing you can do to make this life easy. No guarantees, nothing like that. And yet Jesus said, follow me and I'll give you life. In the story we read, I tell this story a lot because I use this passage in a lot of my funerals. Jesus encountered Mary and Martha. Their brother Lazarus had died. In ancient cultures, when the man of the house died, everybody went into poverty. It was a horrible situation. This idea of social safety nets and all that didn't exist. And if the brothers and others wouldn't take care of them, as often they could not, the family went into abject poverty. They lost everything. People didn't have savings accounts and IRAs and those kinds of things. So they faced the loss of this one that they loved. And they faced the loss of life itself. Sometimes prostitution was the only alternative for a lot of the women. So it was a horrible situation. And Jesus made his way there. And it picked up where Jesus finally got there. And Jesus didn't rush there to save the day before Lazarus died. He explained, you needed to see what God can do. And he said, take me to him. And then they had this discussion. I don't know if you paid attention on our, or heard this story. But he'd been dead four days. And when Jesus said, roll away the stone. They said, no, Jesus, he can't. He's going to stink. But what that meant was they thought he was really dead. They didn't understand life and death technically the way we do. But they knew that sometimes people that seemed to be dead would wake up in a day or two. And they didn't understand that. But they knew it, knew it happened. They didn't know all the details. And on the third day, it was iffy. And on the fourth day, the body would begin to decompose and there was no chance. And so in urban myth, there was this understanding that up to three days in a grave, somebody might be alive. But on the fourth day, he stinks. It's not happening. And that's why the reason for that exchange. Jesus, this is the fourth day. He stinks. It's not going to happen. When Jesus came up to them, as he began entering this conversation, the Bible says that Jesus wept. Heart-rending sobs. Easy verse, John eleven thirty-five. 35. Jesus wept. 
He didn't shed a manly masculine tear like Clint Eastwood. He sobbed like a little girl. He sobbed those heart-rending sobs of a man and woman who's lost their best friend. You see, Jesus cares. That's what that means. That little verse contains so much because it communicates the idea that Jesus, God in the flesh, loves us. Dave said earlier, he referred to the story I told last week about my granddaughter who asked, why did Jesus have to die? Well, because he loves us. And she didn't understand the import of that. This story, that phrase, Jesus wept, shows Jesus loved us. God loves us. The God who is God, who creates all, knows us individually, knows our name, knows the details, knows the dirt, loves us. Jesus wept. He finally said, roll away the stone. They fussed because of this stinking thing. And they rolled him away. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. No fanfare. No miraculous incantations. No powders. No special offerings. Actually, not a lot of faith there. They were desperate. And nobody comes back from the dead. And God did the miraculous, didn't he? came back from the dead. Demonstrated that God has power over death. The very worst thing that can happen is death. God can do something then too. So what we have to learn is, is this story is just one of many stories that shows just how God works. So on screen are some ideas that we can gain from this. The resurrection helps us every day. There is a reason to believe in God's power. Not because the preacher says so, or because of the way you feel. You know, in our culture, we're kind of caught up in feeling. If I feel it, it must be true. If I don't feel it, it's not true. We joke in praise team practice. That they'll sometimes say, we're not feeling it. And sometimes, like even today, we were saying, Terry's the drummer. And we said, Terry, your job is to feel today. Because there was a piece of music that didn't click. And his job was to feel. And it couldn't be counted. We had to feel it. And, you know, we have a, put a lot of pressure on feeling and emotion. Sometimes emotions are relevant. Maybe not with music. But sometimes how you feel about a situation is absolutely irrelevant. It means nothing. You feel it. It's powerful. But it's irrelevant. And that's hard to do. When you feel discouraged and depressed. You can believe in the resurrection. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter how it affects your gut. You know, we talk like that. But that's all irrelevant because this resurrection of Jesus is one of those things. It, God did this. And whether people like it or believe it or feel about it, that, that's irrelevant. God did this. When you understand that God raised Jesus from the dead, there is hope. Even if you don't feel it. Even if no one understands. Even if no one believes it's there because God does things that can't be done. It's a reason to believe in God's power. If God can believe, can raise the dead, if he can do those kinds of miracles, can't he help us? Sure. A reason for meaning in life. I'll be honest. The grind can get you down, can it? I'm nearing retirement age. I'm of the age, but I'm not there yet. And one of the things that retirees tell me is it's so good not to have to worry about junk anymore. 
And I'm a little bit jealous, you know, because there's so much stuff. Now, I know that when you retire, all those things continue. But, you know, there is this myth that if we could just get out from under the burdens of this life, we'd be happy and carefree and all those kinds of things. And that's not true, is it? What we have to understand is that this life we, uh, can, can drag us down, wear us down, make us blind to reality, can dim us and make us, well, it can just get us down. And we can hate life. And then we can read the reason, the story of the resurrection, and guess what? That story is just as true even when you're discouraged. Even when your life has fallen out from under you, even when you're down, even when your health is gone, even when you're old and all those things and someone's left you and you're all alone, the resurrection still happened. The fact that God could take a family and give them life gives us a chance, doesn't it? The fact that God can move in Jesus' life and again take a family and a group of disciples who literally lost their lives, everything, and give them hope. You see, that's how the resurrection can affect us. Before we die, before we need that physical resurrection thing, you see, the resurrection can help us. If you can get yourself to buy into this idea that God can act outside of the realms of physical reality, then you can have hope. Doctors can't raise people from the dead. They can do the resuscitation thing. That's different. Doctors can't raise you from the dead. Incantations can't do it. Dead is dead. And yet the idea that God has raised people from the dead gives us hope. Gives our lives meaning. Our life has meaning because we can serve a God who is literally all-powerful. The fact that you're his emissary, his ambassador, gives your life meaning. What you do, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children and grandchildren, or how you treat your elders, your elders and all those people, that gains meaning when you do it out of Christian devotion. Out of obedience to Jesus, you do whatever. And that gains meaning and gives you influence in people's lives because you're doing it in behalf of the God who raises people from the dead. It's just not just something you do because it's a rule. That's not it at all. It's something you do to show people you are different because the Christ who came back from the dead has changed you. Whether or not you gain anything from it is irrelevant. How you feel about it. Don't follow your feelings. One of the greatest myths in our culture is you must just follow your heart. Nonsense. Your heart will get you into a hole and you know it. Follow Jesus. Jesus said it simply. I am the resurrection and the life. And 2,000 years later, he is still the resurrection and the life. One of the other things on screen is this idea that Jesus is God's expression of life over death. He didn't just talk about the resurrection. He was the resurrection. Life and death. Sin and death. In the video, as I said, the man was surprised that he heard this song. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. You remember that old song. I'm surprised that he was in a pub in England and they were singing that song, aren't you? Did you catch that? 
Christians don't do that. You know, I mean, Christians go to pubs, but we don't sing Christian songs when we're drinking. You know, that'd be just wrong. You know, we've got a weird thing going on here. But in England, evidently, Christians drink and sing about Jesus at the same time. Kind of a weird thing. But anyway, they had this witness, and they probably don't even know this, that that group of Christians that was thinking about Jesus in a pub with their pints, that Hindu guy at the bar heard that, and it changed his life forever. Who knew that God could work like that in a pub? Obviously not a Baptist Jesus, right? So anyway, the man understood that he had to find out about this man from Galilee, Jesus. And that's the point that it stuck with. Not that he had never heard about Jesus, kind of surprising, but the fact that Jesus could forgive sin. No one does that, and he understood that. Talked about his experiences as a Hindu where they have this reincarnation cycle where you never get rid of sin. You do things and you get better. And instead of coming back as a dog, maybe you'll come back as a man. And if you're a bad guy, you'll come back as a dog or something like that. And that's the cycle. And your hope is that you come back better. And eventually the hope is you come back to a great life. But you never know for sure. This idea of forgiveness of sins though the scriptures teach us this is something you can know for sure. You can know that you are saved. You can know that you are with God. You can know that God lives within you. The Bible teaches us that. Lazarus came back from the dead. He walked out and I'm sure there was a huge party that night. You'd throw a party, wouldn't you? Sure you would. If the man that you loved was dead and came back from the dead, you would throw a party. John doesn't tell us the rest of the story. Biblical authors never did tell the whole story. God just lets us use our imagination. Imagine the party that was thrown for Lazarus. And he lived, as far as we know, the rest of his life, follower of Jesus, and then eventually he died. A normal person, just like everybody else. You see, Jesus didn't just talk about it. When he said, I am the resurrection, he means, I'm the guy. I'm the one that can make it happen. I am the resurrection and the life. On screen are a couple of ideas. We can live without fear of death. You know this. People are terrified to die. It's dark. It's unknown. We can't control it. And it seems so final. And what if I die and I'm alone? And what if I die and it's dark? And what if I die and I don't know anybody? And on and on it goes. And those are very real fears. And, and sometimes we laugh about it, but a lot of people live with that fear. Do you know that for the Christian who's received Jesus as Savior and has been taught from Scripture, they have zero fear of death. Maybe fear of the way it's going to happen. I get that. But at the moment you die... So says scripture, you awake in the presence of God. Jesus told man on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he didn't have to define it. We don't have to have a definition of paradise, do we? Jesus will be with us in paradise. Whatever that means, that's a good thing. The God who raised Jesus from the dead gives validity to those words, doesn't it? If Jesus would have said those words and, and would have just died and stayed in the ground, nice story, but... But instead, the guy who said that on the cross, he came back. He demonstrated, I and the Father are one. I am the resurrection and the life. When you die, and you will, there is no need to fear. 
we have all lost people we've loved. And it's hard. If they are followers of Jesus, rest assured, they're good. At the moment they die, their suffering is over. They are vibrant and alive. And that's all you need to know. Lots of questions, timelines, because we, we're Westerners. We like to think like that. We like to figure stuff out. No answers on this one. Today you shall be with me in paradise. So said Jesus on the cross. And there's every reason to believe that Jesus, the resurrection and the life, knew of which he spoke. And then eternity is a place of life and love. Again, no details. I say this often. The biblical authors were given visions and images. And so they used visions and images to communicate truths that they understood. And they used language that we would understand. So heaven is a place of mansions. In other words... You'd have a place to stay. God's going to take care of you. You're, going to, you're not going to live in a hole. You're not going to live in the dirt. And running water, bathrooms, all those things. You know, that's the vision of mansions. They had it all. In heaven, there's going to be banqueting tables. What that means is you're not going to be hungry. Remember, the New Testament was written to people who were hungry physically. And they were hungry all their lives. They would have bread, usually. They'd have meat, Rarely, sometimes some fruit, but they ate very little. They were hungry. It wasn't because they were conscious of their weight, it's because they were hungry. You know, we read, and anthropologists have discovered this that people from Jesus' day were very small. Well, the only reason they were small is because they lived hungry. They weren't big fat Americans like us, they were tiny because they were hungry. And they lived that way. So when the authors of New Testament said there are banqueting tables in heaven, that's exactly what they were talking about. Food. You will not live hungry. I could go on. The idea is in eternity, wherever the form it takes, it's a place where your needs are fulfilled, where you don't struggle every day just for the stuffs of life, where you're not afraid of getting attacked, you're not afraid of the soldiers, you're not afraid of crazy taxation and of corrupt governments, and all the things that hurt us and scare us now, they're simply not an issue. And people couldn't imagine that. And that's exactly why God communicated that. When I'm taking care of you in eternity, there are no worries. The scriptures even teach that in heaven, there are no tears. Imagine that. No need for them. Sounds like a pretty good place, doesn't it? On screen is a passage of scripture. Why don't you read this with me? And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for now I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And there's the Easter story. You knew you couldn't get out with reading that, right? On Easter, we read the Easter story. It's true, it's absolute. 
It's based on fact. It's a faith based on something God did centuries ago. And literally, it changes everything. Jesus knew that we're kind of short-memoried people. We get distracted. We get forget. We let our emotions lead us astray. So he said, when you get together and you eat, and he intended for us to eat, so there's nothing wrong with that. When you eat, remember me. And he helped them. He said, when you break bread, remember, and let it symbolize my flesh. He wanted them to remember he died on the cross. When you drink wine, let it be a symbol of my blood. He wanted them to understand he died. Because he wanted us to remember that we are people who are formed, not because we're nice or intelligent or good, but we are formed as a body because we believe in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So I think it's fitting on a resurrection Sunday that we share this meal together. So I'm going to ask that the deacons come and get in their place as we prepare to share this meal. So as they come and get in their place, some of you may not know how we do this because it's a little different than in other churches. So deacons, come down please if you would. After we say a prayer, what's going to happen is there's going to be some music and you're all going to stand up and then you're just going to form a line down the aisles and come down and you'll take a cup and then you go back to your seat. And you'll notice, for some of you that aren't familiar, that the cup has a couple of peel-offs. And don't cuss when you do this, but you'll have to fuss with it. Yeah, and I know, and it's kind of hard. If you can't do it, let somebody help you. So look around, and there's a, a wafer, and it's really good. And then there's wine, and it's even better. So why don't you stand up with me now. Remember, this bread symbolizes the flesh of Jesus the wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus. We are reminded of this. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your blessings. For this life we have in Jesus, we thank you. We pray as we eat this meal that we will be reminded of this wonderful gift of salvation. That it came only because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This meal is proclamation. We proclaim that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus when we eat this meal. The shed blood. The flesh. This is what we talk about. It is invitation. Join us. So we proclaim that we believe the crucified and resurrected Jesus story. And we also say, join us. So if your kids grab a cup, that's okay. We want them to join us, don't we? Follow along. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, Jesus knows us. We forget. We put emphasis on different things. We go to church. We get the idea that the building is the issue or attendance records are the issue or something. The issue is, do you follow resurrected Jesus? Because that's what makes us the body of Christ. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is what it's all about. That we celebrate resurrected Christ and that people with us understand. 
So when you talk to your friends and say that you went to church on Easter Sunday because everybody goes to church on Easter Sunday, right? No, that's not true anymore either. But when you talk to your friends and acknowledge that you went to church on Easter Sunday, well, what'd you do? Well, I heard a sermon that wasn't too long and sang great music and then we had communion. They'll say, well, what's that mean? And this is your chance. We eat a meal that symbolizes this idea of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And just say that. And they go, huh, that means that's the end of the conversation. That's okay. But if they ask what that means, well then tell them, we believe Jesus died. And we believe that Jesus came back from the dead. And you've presented the gospel. It's just that simple. Nate's going to lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Let me encourage you to make those decisions that will allow the resurrected Jesus to influence you and save you. If you want to make something public, you can if you'd come forward. Why don't you stand with me? Make those decisions. Sing loud. God sent His Son. On your way out, there'll be a couple of ushers at the door taking special offerings. And this goes towards helping people in need. Uh, no overhead, none of those things. Uh, you give $100, $100 goes to someone who needs it. So let me encourage you to give as generously as you can. You can give up five, I don't care. Just give what you can. God will know it, all right? George, would you lead us in prayer? Father, we thank you for the resurrection and this celebration. Help us to show your love by following Christ's example. In Jesus' name, amen.